Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. This episode and next episode, we're doing a twofer, we have Dr. Scott French, a very energetic physician I met at the Napa Institute conference uh, back in 2019. He's an emergency room uh, physician who works with Father Robert Spitzer's Magis Center, and among other things, he's an expert on the Shroud of Turin. Yes, and before we get to the interview, this is going to be a two-part interview. We'd like to kind of set the stage as to why this is important, especially during this holy season of Lent. Yes, and if you are not driving in a vehicle or operating any machinery, we recommend that you go to uh, Wikipedia, and they have a very nice article on the Shroud of Turin, and they have some high-resolution photos that you can open up and look at while we're talking to Scott about the Shroud. Uh, it is very event-driven. See, now, I was always told you're not allowed to use Wikipedia as a source article, but it turns out they have the best pictures. They do have good pictures, and I've used them uh, many times, downloaded and used them in my PowerPoint and keynote presentations. And so the Shroud of Turin is... Is that right, Tom, the most studied artifact on the planet? That we know of, yes. It's amazing for something as you know small in size and weight as it is, uh, how much it's been uh, looked at. Yes, it's, and I, I honestly I am not surprised to hear that because the shroud itself is just so amazing. If you've looked at pictures of it, it really, you can, you can almost see Christ staring at you. It's incredible, which is probably one of the many reasons why it has caught the attentions of uh, so many people. The study of the shroud actually has its own name. You know, there's a lot of ologies in the world. You know, I do dermatology, you know, study of the skin. Well, there is something called syndenology. I've never heard of that one. Oh, uh, I unfortunately have ever since med school when I started reading more literature on the Shroud of Torrid. So syndon, S-I-N-D-O-N. So the ology of the syndon or the study of the shroud. So let's go through, well, what we want to cover with Scott. You know, where did the shroud come from? Did it just, you know, come out of thin air? You know, what are its origins? How long has it been around? Can, can we know that? Uh, what do we see on the shroud? And, and, you know, especially for our show, what does it mean medically? What does it say about the person who was wrapped in the shroud? Would it be possible to actually forge this image, which, which many people believe today, that it's Ooh, a... That's a good question, because you hear about that from time to time, like it, it might not be an authentic uh, shroud. Right. Uh, exactly. But if it's not, you know, a question I ask, does it take more faith or does it take more suspension of, uh, of a reason to believe that it was the burial cloth of Christ or something else? Right. Actually, that's a good point. That's a good point. So if you were in a court of law, which would have more reasonable doubt or less reasonable doubt? What are some resolved questions and unresolved questions regarding the shroud? So we hear about the shroud in the gospel. Do you know which gospel? Uh, I believe it's John's <laughs> gospel, right? It's you not, are so on Not it. one of the synoptic gospels. It's not in the synoptic gospels. So if you go to your Bibles, again, not operating machinery, heavy equipment. In John's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 38 to 42, it talks about the burial of Jesus' body. And, of course, we had two important men involved with this, Joseph of Arimathea, a Sadducee, and then a Pharisee, uh, Nicodemus, the one who met him in John 
chapter 3 and talk to him about being born again. And apparently it was the wealthy Joseph of Arimathea uh, with Nicodemus who took the body of Jesus and, as it says in verse 40, bound it in linen cloths, plural, hmm. and they used spices, and then they buried him in a garden. So why was there a garden there? What's, what's the stage of where the original shroud was located? Well, that garden was right next to Calvary. And what was Calvary? If you go to Jerusalem today, you will note that almost all the buildings are made of the same thing and are of the same color. Limestone, right? Limestone. They're all made of white limestone. Calvary was a limestone quarry. And when they were able to cut out the block and get nice rectangular and square pieces, they kept quarrying. But there were some areas in which there were air pockets in the rock, and when you cut into it, it just split off and splintered and was useless. They left that behind. That's what Calvary is. It's the stone that the builders rejected yeah, that's, for getting limestone. That's incredible imagery, and that's something that I think you, you mm. introduced me to that idea, Tom, in, in a talk of yours that I heard, but it's amazing the parallels that you see with the Gospels and the parables, and then you've been to the, the yes. Holy Land a few times, right? Yeah, I've been there three times, and the, uh, you know, the hillock that uh, Calvary would have been might have been only 20 feet high. Wow. But then around it, oftentimes in old quarries, things would start to grow, um, you know, as you cleared away the limestone and got some soil down there. And so there would naturally be a garden. Not too surprising that this was within a few hundred feet of uh, where Calvary was located. And, of course, they, at the time, would have buried people outside the city, and this was right outside the city wall. In fact, <clears throat> within five to ten years of Jesus' death, they actually extended the city walls to encompass Calvary. But at the time Jesus died in 33 A.D., um, it was outside the city walls. Now, we then see in the post-resurrection, chapter 20 of John's Gospel, we see the old guy and the young guy running together to the tomb after Mary Magdalene comes against the scaredy cats who are hiding in the upper room to say, <laughs> hey, the Lord is risen. And, and Peter and John, what? So they run there, and who got there first? John had to claim victory. Yeah, but, he was the younger guy. Well, but he got to write it, though, right? So he, he had to make sure he got that in there. But he also <laughs> let Peter go in first. And it says, Peter ran, stooping. He looked in, and he saw the linen cloths, plural again, lying there. Well, actually, John saw the linen cloths. Peter then went in, saw them lying there. And he said, also, the napkin which had been on his head. So I wonder what that was. We're going to ask Scott French about this other cloth and why it says linen cloths, plural. Now, I don't know if you're aware of how shrouds wrapped bodies then. I always pictured it wrapping like a burrito. That's the easiest way to wrap everything. Yeah, we wrap babies like burritos, right? That's right. But they didn't <laughs> wrap dead bodies. They did it the long way round. Yeah, I wonder why they did that. I, I don't know. So in other words, they would, have, they would have taken a long cloth, and this one uh, at the time was roughly two cubits, by eight cubits. Mm. You know, cubits roughly 18 to 20 inches, depending on which part of the world it was. So r roughly that. So they'd have it laid out, and they would then put the body on top of half of it and then loop the other half over the head, and the ends would touch around where the feet were. Okay. 
So that's how the shroud was wrapped. That explains the image that you might be seeing on the Internet if you're looking at pictures. Now, from time to time, popes have visited and venerated the Shroud of Turin. Benedict XVI wrote a beautiful reflection on it. He viewed it on May 2nd of 2010. And he said that the Shroud is an icon written in blood, the blood of a man who was scourged, crowned with thorns, crucified, and whose right side was pierced. He said the image impressed upon the Shroud is that of a dead man, but the blood speaks of his life. Every trace of blood speaks of love and of life. And one of my favorite topics for meditation is actually Holy Saturday, uh, when the body was in the tomb. And I reflect that, was there anybody who believed he was going to rise from the dead? Wow. And of course, who do we celebrate at Catholic Mass every Saturday morning? The Blessed Virgin Mary. That's right. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons. I don't know this. This is just Tom McGovern's crazy idea. But to me, it's like her faith, she believed her son was going to rise, and that's one of the reasons we celebrate her on Saturdays. And if you... Oh, that's that's a neat connection. I've never made that connection before. Yeah, and it might be completely wrong. My brain does things like that. But if you want to email us and let us know, I will happily be corrected on air. But in that same meditation, Benedict wrote that Holy Saturday is the day when God remains hidden. And he said there's an ancient homily that says, what's happened today, Holy Saturday, the earth is shrouded in deep silence, deep silence and stillness, profound silence because the king sleeps. God has died in the flesh and has gone down to rouse the realm of the dead. That's, that I love powerful. that. that I just love that. And he says, Holy Saturday is a no man's land between the death and resurrection. And in a way, the shroud is kind of an image, could be thought of an image if, as someone between death and resurrection. I know that Scott French likes to talk about that. Man, well, I'm I'm really excited to hear from him. But I know before we begin, Tom... You had a trivia question. About this shroud, which is, before I get to the question, it's made of linen. And linen is made of a plant called flax. Common flax, or it's also known as linseed. And the actual size of the shroud is 14 feet by 3.5 feet, or about 8 by 2 cubits. And it's consistent with loom technology available in the first century. And it's got this pattern. It's called a three-over-one herringbone pattern. And Scott may talk about that. That's important because it fits with the time. Okay. The trivia question. It's a two-parter, and it's very simple. It's not on display all the time. There are only certain very limited times in history when it's displayed because they don't want light and other uh, you know, chemicals, air, to damage it. So when is the most recent year the shroud was displayed for veneration? And when is the next year that the shroud is planned to be displayed for veneration? So that if this is on your bucket list, you can go. Mm. And I can tell you in this year of 2020, I get to fulfill one of my other religious bucket list things that happens only every 10 years. And that is the Passion Play in Oberammergau, Germany, which has been going on since 1634. Also on my bucket list is to see the shroud so can you tell me the next time I can sign up to go see it? Get we'll, your tickets now. That's right. We'll be back with more on Dr. Doctor here on Redeemer Radio after the break. This is Father Donald Calloway from the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. 
As we are in our season of Lent, let us remember that the Lord's love for us is everlasting, that he offers to us a time of grace, a time of prayer, a time of penance, a time of almsgiving, so that we can have transformed hearts, so that we can grow in virtue. Read the scriptures, be a little more devoted in your prayer life, and watch the change and transformation that happens in your heart. We are asked to go to Mass every Sunday. One of the biggest reasons people give for not going is, I don't get anything out of it. But the truth is, Mass is not for our entertainment or even what we can get out of it. Every Sunday, we should go to Mass ready to give our best. We do not worship an experience, we worship a person. When we decide not to give God one hour on Sunday, what we're really saying is I worship my life and what I want more than the God of the universe. This Sunday, go to Mass ready to give of yourself and ready to worship. We're back with our special guest today, Dr. Scott French. He's an emergency medicine physician who did his undergrad degree in San Diego and his doctoral degree, his MD at University of Arizona. He did his emergency medicine residency at uh, UCLA, and he's worked in academic medicine a number of places, including Stanford, North Carolina, Emory, uh, Oregon, University of Washington. He currently trains and mentors emergency department medical directors uh, and also still sees patients uh, across the state of California. He, in his life, has started a, a new segment in which he's doing more than just medicine. He's witnessed widespread youth suicide, depression, anxiety, and despair, and he wanted to do something about it, and he is, and he'll talk more about that on the show. Uh, he loves giving presentations on the compatibility of faith and science, and he joined the Magis Center of Father Robert Spitzer as a volunteer and now a board member, and he's going to talk about that story, too. Welcome to Dr. Doctor, Scott French. Thanks so much. Hey, Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome, Scott. I know the Shroud of Torn is an incredible, pers incredibly personal thing for you. Why is that? Well, uh, it's a uh, it's a long uh, story, but we'll condense it into a uh, short story. <laughs> so, as as uh, as we're as we're good as physicians, right? So. Um, uh, as you mentioned, I've been an emergency physician for more than 20 years, and I had noticed over the last 10 years that I was seeing more and more young people in my emergency department and with more behavioral uh, disorders, uh, suicide attempts, uh, drug use. And I thought, you know, what's going on? You know, in a way, the ER is kind of the canary in the coal mine. And as, as we all know, the statistics have borne that out, that the suicide rate has doubled in the last 10 years among uh, young people. It's now the second, law, uh, second highest cause of death uh, for young people from age 20 to 35. Um, and then also um, all the other behavioral disorders. So it's, it's, it's a real problem that we're seeing in our society and um, I'm particularly sensitive to uh, suicide because my dad committed suicide when oh I was 11 oh. uh, because I come from a very poor family. <laughs> and he thought that was the way to provide for his family. Oh so I'm goodness. very sensitive to, <laughs> yes. to the whole suicide issue. So, so I saw this, you know, what is going on? You know, what are we doing? We have all this great entertainment. We have all these other things going on, great material wealth and all these things. And yet, our youth are very unhappy. And as an emergency physician, 
you know, we see the things at the end. You know, it's too late. They've already made the suicide attempt. Unfortunately, in most cases, it's not successful, but sometimes it is. Um, and so I kept praying to God. I said, you know, I want to get in front of this. This is, you know, you know, you think about back to the third grade. Everyone, you know, is happy, happy and go. What, what are we? <laughs> what are we doing to our children? I mean, seriously. Yes. I, I, I was thinking back to back to the third grade. I had a great time in the third grade. You know what? Why is this happening? And so um, I think, you know, we Catholics do have an understanding of what's happening is, you know, there's there's attacks on the family. There's, uh, you know, you can pick your gender. All, all these things confuse children, making them unhappy. And and so um, I said, you know, how can we get in front of this? And uh, so I kept praying and praying. And, and, and again, like I said, the story has got twists and turns. I learned through this that... Uh, the Holy Spirit has an incredible sense of humor and loves to pick the least qualified, which would be me. So, <laughs> so, so, so uh, and be careful what you wish for. So I kept praying, praying, and, and then somehow, I really to this day don't remember how it happened, but somehow we found out that, uh, my wife and I found out, who's also a physician, that um, the uh, Shroud of Turin was going to be uh, open for viewing in 2015 that Pope Francis had opened it up. And I said, you know, that would be really great. We'd never been on a pilgrimage. And uh, I thought this would be really great to do that. You know, you hear it's a medieval forgery and all that. I'd really like to see it because uh, it'd, be, it'd be great. So so we did. We went on our first ever uh, pilgrimage. And, uh, and we uh, went to... Uh, to go see the Shroud of Turin. And in the meantime, we'd been getting all this literature from, believe it or not, the Catholic Church and, and this uh, Catholic pilgrimage group about how, well, it's, you know, unclear what's really going on. It may be a medieval forgery, but some people believe it's real. And, you know, so so we go there. It's like, that's kind of interesting. And uh, um, Before you so, went, what did you think? I, I wanted, you know, you know, we're scientists, right? I wanted, you know... We live in an age of relativism. You know, it's either it either is the burial cloth of Jesus or isn't. There's nothing. In so you wanted either. to investigate it yourself. Yeah, I want to investigate. That's that's what we do as physicians, right? Very we good. Connect the dots. Right? Yes. So I wanted to investigate. So so um, this is where again, where the Holy Spirit has a huge sense of humor. So so um, so we go this we go in, and I don't know if anyone in the listening audience or you have been. To see the see the shroud, you know, it's not not public display very often, but um, you go in this room and it's quiet, it's dark, uh, but you get within uh, as you go by. It's all silent. You go by, you get within about you know, about a foot foot and a half away from the uh, from the shroud, and you know you know how photographs really don't give you the impression. You know you, when you really see something rather yes. than through a digital yes. image, um, and. And I looked at this, and, you know, I'm an ER doc, so I see lots of traumatized patients, and I go, how did a image of a crucified man get on this non-photographic material? Yes. I said, oh, there's more to this story than what I've been told. <laughs> so, so then, again, as part of the, uh, uh, part of the journey, uh, two days later, we were in Lanciano, and I think people know that's the site of the Eucharistic miracle in uh, 750 A.D. So, so you traveled so, uh, from the northwest corner of Italy down to kind of the east coast in the center of Italy, where Lanciano is near yeah, the Adriatic Sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> it's, it's closer there. Yeah. So, so, um, and there they, uh, people aren't familiar with the story, basically a priest who was having difficulty with believing in the real presence yes. was, um, celebrating mass and right in front of the congregation, him, he stopped because what happened is the wine turned into blood and the uh, tissue, uh, the uh, host turned into tissue. Now, again, remember, this is before the day of microscopes, so yes. it wasn't really scientifically um, examined until the 20th century, uh, until 1971 in, in extensive detail, and we'll get into more of that later. So, so again, as physicians, we're really good at pattern recognition, and what people may or may not realize is the Shroud of Turin has type AB blood, and every Eucharistic miracle, the ones in 1996, in Sokolva, Poland, in 2008, in Tixla, Mexico, they all have type AB blood. Wow. Okay. And when there's tissue. It, now tell tell the audience what is the what is unusual about type AB blood because there's four types: O, A, B, and AB. Great question. So the type AB blood is the rarest type of blood. And, and yet it's in found in 12% of people of a Jewish extraction. And, so, and worldwide, uh, what is it, 3 or 4% have it? Worldwide, it's, yeah, it's less than that. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, 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 yeah, it's less than 4%. So it's a very rare blood type, and yet every Eucharistic miracle and the Shroud of Turin has this type of blood. And it's more common yeah. than average yeah. in Jewish people um, of Jewish descent from the Mediterranean. Yes. Well, 12% mm -hmm. of Jewish people have a type AB blood. That yeah. sounds like quite a pilgrimage. What What was it like standing there in front of the shroud? Was Was your first impression like, holy cow, this is definitely for real? Oh, yeah. Well, it, it struck me. Uh, it definitely felt like um, I had an encounter with God. It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I get it. I mean, uh, it's like, yeah, I, I don't care what people are telling me. There's more to the story. And that's how I started on my journey. I started doing research on uh, on the evidence. And when you really do the real research, it, the evidence is uh, overwhelming, which we'll get to. But, you know, just like in medicine, you can ask Dr. Google. And uh, if, you, you, if you go go on a Dr. Google, it says it's an immediable forgery. And they give us contrary evidence that... Uh, that there's this theory from some monks somewhere that, you know, radiation, the sun, the, the truth is out there. It's just that it's, no one's exposed. You've got to find it, just, it, right? Scott, you've got to find it. Scott, a lot of people are interested in finding out the truth about the shroud because they think it might prove that a supernatural event occurred. Is that something science can help us with? Yes. Yeah, so, again, as, as, as we as uh, physician scientists understand, science, can only uh, show us what's observable, because science is, uh, is, is observation. And as we all know, observation, you can, uh, can, you can, your eyes can be tricked. That's what mirages are. So, I, so, so science, observation is not foolproof. That's why theories change over time. But science can only tell us what is, um, what is observable. So we can't observe a supernatural or transphysical event but we can observe the effects of a transphysical event. And that is what is the fascinating tale about the shroud. The shroud is not only, we'll, we'll go through the evidence of how we can date it back to the, uh, <clears throat> to the time of Christ and, and why the 1988 um, 
uh, carbon-14 data is wrong. And, but also, the image itself is a three-dimensional image wow. on the upper six microns of linen, which linen is made out of flax. And on the upper six microns, and has three-dimensional details in that. If you look carefully at the shroud, you see the hands, they have four fingers instead of five. It's because when you drive a nail through the wrist, it gets the median nerve and causes the thumb to curl in. So you have three-dimensional information. There's Roman lepton coins underneath the eyes on the shroud that you can't, you can only see with high definition photography. I mean, it goes, it goes on and on. We'll go through all the evidence. Well, Scott, what do you, there's overwhelming evidence. What do you think are the reasons that listeners should be interested in the shroud? Well, because, you know, as, uh, as, uh, St. Paul said, you know, we're, we're fools if, uh, if the shroud is not true, I mean, if, if the resurrection is not true, yes. the shroud is evidence of the resurrection. When you go through how the image is created, it's not a paint, it's not a scorch, it's not a dye. It's on the upper six microns. It's estimated that it would take, uh, it would take, uh, 60, uh, 14 billion watts of pure laser light energy over 140 billionth of a second. Because again, the linen is flammable, <laughs> right. so that you don't have, so that you would, to create this image. So we, we, today we still can't create this image. We, um, they've done experiments and they would think it would take about 14,000 eczema, uh, pure, uh, laser light energy to, to cause it emanating from every point in the body. And as, uh, Father Spitzer always says, Dead bodies don't tend to do that. <laughs> <laughs> most most of them don't. There, there might be one. Well, you, you know, Scott, one one of the things that you like to talk about are the mysteries of the shroud. What what are the biggest mysteries that we should cover today, and why are they worth unraveling? Well, again, the mystery of the origin is it really? Again, you know, truth is not relative. E e either it is the burial cloth of Jesus, or it isn't. So so how can we date it back to the first century how can we how can we solve that mystery and how can we solve the mystery of the dating why do we have a carbon 14 uh, uh, testing date that says it's uh, night uh, you know from the middle ages versus you know from the the first century um and then secondly how not how but also why and how is there an image of a crucified man exactly as depicted in the bible and why can't we why can't we replicate that today they actually are we do have examples of this um and we'll go through that i guess down down the road but uh, um there the there are examples of uh, similar events that have happened but nothing like the shroud nothing uh, and it basically Go ahead. Oh, no, you're exactly right. You would think that if this were a purely natural event, it would have happened somewhere, that they would have discovered in, in some pyramid, in some burial place, place a shroud with a similar image. There is nothing like it. Or, or if we could replicate it in some way, it seems like that's right. something that would be easily right. done and right. proved. Right. 
Yeah, and so, you know, it gets, it gets back to Occam's razor, and maybe we should explain that for our audience. So Occam's razor is that um, you take the – there's, you know, several possibilities for something to happen. So like for the shroud, for example, so it's possible – that, you know, an alien spacecraft came down and had uh, 14,000, 14 billion watts of laser-like energy and, you know, collaborated with somebody and they found some Roman leptons and put them on the, put them in the shroud. <laughs> they, they, crucif- they crucified, they crucified a guy, you know, poor, some poor Jewish guy was crucified. I mean, it's clearly, if a forensic scientist have looked at this and this, it, it's, it's, it's the image of a crucified man, just like, uh, like Jesus, and and they did it really quick. Not only did they kill this person, but um, he did not decay, just like the Bible said. And we know rigor mortis only lasts forty-eight hours. So he, so this 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 image on the shroud is in a state of rigor mortis. It's depicted as as depicted in the Bible, the nails through the through the heel. And they just discovered they hadn't found any nails that had been through the calcaneus until I think it's just mm. night twenty seventeen. That they found some. Uh, Actually, 1968 was the first one, and then they found another one in 2018 up in northern Italy. Yeah, 2018. Yeah. So, so, so those have been later findings, and um, and uh, and they. Oh, and by the way, then they put pollen. They put pollen from Jerusalem on the shroud so that that Max Fry, the botanist, could discover it in 1978. That uh, seems like a, a a crazy oh, I mean, a crazy <laughs> chance and and just for our, our yeah. listeners too, just as an analogy, we talk about Occam's razor a lot in medicine, and it's the idea that if someone has a, a cough and a runny nose and a fever and a sore throat, that they don't have you know four problems. They really have one problem, and and that's the way you can explain. It. It's the simplest explanation that explains everything you're seeing. In other words, we used to use the term: Are you a lumper? Or a splitter? Do you split it into a number of different things going on or lump it into one thing causing everything? That's right. So Occam was a lumper. Is that right, Scott? <laughs> yeah, and, and again, it's pattern recognition. And, yes. and I think, as you've explained to your audience many times, is that that's what we as physicians are trained yes. to do, is to see the patterns. And again, that's where it comes in the humor of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a physician. I train other physicians in pattern recognition. And guess what? There's patterns all over the Bible. <laughs> well, let's take a break right here. We'll come back with more on Dr. Doctor and Scott French about the Shard of Turin after the break. Sometimes we may be asked by those who don't pray on a regular basis, why should we pray or why do we pray? Well, I pray to get closer to God. And I always think about what my patron saint, St. Teresa of Avila, said. She said, prayer is really nothing more than a conversation with a friend. If we think about it that way, it will help us guide our conversations with God, which we should be having as often as possible. St. John Paul II said, Catholic doctors are called as believers to witness to Christ effectively helping to eliminate the causes of suffering that humiliate and sadden humankind. The Catholic Medical Association helps Catholic healthcare professionals live out this calling and fully integrate their faith with their practice of medicine as they care for patients. The Catholic Medical Association is open to all medical professionals, clergy, and supporters of Catholic healthcare. For more information, visit cathmed.org. And we're back with Dr. Doctor discussing the Shroud of Turin today with Dr. Scott French. 
Um, Scott, can you tell us a little bit about when everyone agrees the Shroud at least first appeared in history and the fire back in the, the Middle Ages? Yes, so the fire of Chambray in 1532, uh, the Shroud has been in three fires, and this was wow. the worst fire. And, and so here's an interesting fact that people don't know about the fire of Chambray. It, uh, the, the Shroud of Turin was kept in a uh, silver box yes. uh, starting sometime in the Middle Ages, and that's kind of how they kept it, uh, you know, protected it. And so during this fire, the fire was so hot that the silver box melted. <laughs> and that's where you see the, sta- the, the, fire, the burn marks on the Shroud of Turin. So and for so people who know, are looking at an image of it, what does it look like? So you, you see alongside what's interesting, again, it's a miracle within a miracle, is that the image itself was not burned, but outside the image, the drippings of the of the silver uh, put burn marks. So it's kind of like this black. You see these black areas in the in the shroud. Are there holes so, from the silver dripping in there? There are holes from the silver, and in fact, it had damaged it so much that the Porclair uh, nuns um, repaired this shroud. Now, again, no one knew this until about the year 2000, because what happened was that after the Sturt Project in 1978, where they had all this overwhelming evidence, all these scientists who none of them who were believers, or I think there were a couple who were believers, but they even had Barry Schwartz, who is a a Jewish photographer, come in. They had all sorts of people uh, that were involved in this, including NASA, uh, people at the uh, uh, Colorado Springs, the Naval, uh, U.S. Air Force Base, they're the ones that actually discovered that uh, the Shroud of Turin is a 3D image because they had to create what's called the JP-8 analyzer, which is what you use for the lunar landing. Um, because, again, photographs only have two-dimensional properties, but the Shroud has three. And so, so what they had to do for the lunar landing is they had to know the height of the mountain so that uh, they wouldn't crash land on a mountain. And so um, when you put any image under the JP analyzer, that's a regular 2D image, um, it jumbles, you know, look, it looks like a Picasso painting. But you put an image of the shroud under it, and the face pops out. Yes. So it's, it's truly a 3D image, unique. So back to history. Um, so so, so it, was, it was repaired. And again, remember the linen, the linen made out of flax garment. No cotton, cotton in it. Come, right. Cotton does not come into um, the uh, Middle Ages, and even even in uh, even in Israel, the Middle East doesn't come in until around the year eight hundred plus, and in Europe, it really wasn't until even later than that, so around twelve hundred or so. So what happened is, at when they did the um, <clears throat> the carbon fourteen data, now never remember as carbon-14 works, and maybe we should take a minute. We'll do that later, about how carbon-14 yeah, works. Yeah, we'll every cover time, that later. That sounds good. Yeah, every time you expose something to to uh, the air, atmosphere at the time, it's going to have carbon-14 from that time area. So clearly the shroud was exposed to 1500s carbon-14. So so that's why, that's one of the reasons it's, uh, it's dating back then. But the really important fact in all this is that 
um, it was actually a nurse who the the the, the uh, linen cloth is uh, four uh, uh, ten cubits by one cubit uh, eight by two cubits we, we, yeah, yeah eight by it. two cubits yes is a, a, a special first century Syrian herringbone uh, weave yes and and this and 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 everyone was disappointed when the 1988 study came down there was this group of folks that just just that that can't be true, you know, because there was so much evidence that it was, it was, it would date back to the time of Christ. And, um, so they, uh, so one, uh, they, they got the image of the, uh, of the samples that were taken in 1988. And, and it's worthwhile just explaining what happened when the American scientists came over in 1978, they were going to sample the shroud in six different spots. Unfortunately, what happened is in uh, in um, 1988, the Italian scientists took over and they decided to do it in one spot instead of six different spots, and they did it on an edge in the same area that was that was damaged in the fire of Chambray. So why they did that to this date, no one ever knows. And we'll leave the rest of the information till later in the interview. I want to uh, get back. Okay, after the fire, the shroud ends up in Turin. How does it get to Turin? Well, it gets to Turin because Chambray was, uh, uh, it was there. The whole history starts with um, getting to Europe starts with the Knights Templar. Um, so the shroud of Turin was in in uh, Constantinople in, uh, in, uh, after about 984. So it, the Shroud of Turin was discovered in 525. We, let's uh, cover that history a little bit later after we go in detail okay. in the Carbon-14. I'd like to just get into the modern scientific things that have been discovered about it. So this uh, is the stuff that even secular folks who might not believe right. in the Shroud, everybody <clears throat> would agree on. So it got to Turin in 1578. Why? Uh, because it was, uh, it was, uh, the Knights Templar had obtained it in 1204, probably from the fourth, you know, probably obtained it then from the Fourth Crusade when they sacked Constantinople and the shroud disappeared from Constantinople. And it shows up in France, uh, by, uh, part of some of the Knights Templar and the, the grandson of the Grand Knight of the Knights Templar is the one who ended up, uh, the Savoy family. They were actually, it was actually part of France and then became part of Italy. So it was, it's all because it was in that family, that Savoy family and the grandfather of uh, the Savoy who was in, um, in, uh, the 1500s, uh, was, was uh, a Knights Templar, Grand Knight of the Knights. So in northwest Italy, where Turin is, is close to France. So at that time, this was right. part of their, fiefdom or kingdom. All right. Correct. So right. The, the modern scientific area of examining the Shroud really begins with a photograph taken in 1898. Tell our listeners about that. So, yeah, Secunda Pio is a uh, photographer and had been trying to photograph the uh, Shroud of Turin for a number of years and was constantly denied access, again, by the Savoy family because it was, you know, it's it's their property, actually, um, and um, 
and the church obviously is part of it, but uh, but it's their it's their property. And so they finally allowed him to go in, and when he took his photograph as he was uh, as he was uh, developing the negative, he yeah he couldn't believe it. It it, it popped out. The so the negative looks out. like a positive. Yes, the negative looks like a positive, and so and so it's really important to, to make this point really clear is that. Again, this is not a photograph, but it looks like it pops out. The image pops out when you do a photograph of it, but it's not photographic material. It's again, as we said earlier, it's on the upper. It's probably the rapid dehydration of the upper six microns of the fibrils on the flax. And six microns is close to the diameter of one red blood cell. Holy That's cow. right. That that must have we been did. a pretty shocking experience getting those photographs. Did did anybody else try and photograph it after that? Well, yes. So 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 of course everyone wanted to uh, hush it up uh, for uh, for a variety of reasons, and so it wasn't photographed for another until 32 years later, and the same thing happened because they thought Secundapio, you know, again, Ford just made this up that this wasn't real. And that's what started the more intensive investigation. The Shroud of Turin is the most scientifically studied artifact in the history of the world because of this series of events that's happened that Secunda, the original Secunda Pio uh, photograph then repeated and 32 years later. It's like, oh, yeah, it really is that way. And so that's when they started looking at this in earnest. Up until then, again, it was like, yeah, it's just this legend doesn't really mean anything. Okay, Scott, in 1978, there was this incredible 120-hour continuous study, mostly by Americans, called uh, STIRP, the Stroud of Turin Research Project. And when I was in medical school, I found every single article they published in the uh, scientific literature, went to the stacks at Plummer Library at Mayo Clinic, copied them, and read them all. Can you summarize what they discovered during this 120 hours? Yes. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was it was fascinating. Again, it was led by a lot of uh, Dr. Jackson. There were a number of amazing scientists in here that uh, that were just it was incredible. Uh, what they found was uh, it was not a scorch, a dye, or a vapor. Um, uh, they uh, it was later that they realized that it was up on the upper six uh, microns of the of the, of the um, Linen fibers, flax of yep. the fiber with fibrils of the flax, but but they knew it wasn't a scorched dye or vapor because for one one of their one of their points of evidence is that during that fire of Chambray, water was thrown on it. If it was it was a dye or a or a, a vapor or 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 a burn, it would have it would have spread. There was no spreading ah, of the good point. of the water on there, and so and yet there was where where the 1988. <laughs> There was where the 1988 uh, uh, sample was because, again, it, uh, uh, it it was you know that that does respond to water. So because it was it was dyed to, to match to match the flax. Yeah, there was a, so, a Walter um, McCrone. He was a guy who still believed after this that it was a pigment. But what evidence proved that it wasn't due to some kind of red pigment in the blood stained areas? Well, they did. Uh, they did extensive uh, studies. They did. Uh, they did um, for, uh, fluorescein staining, and you could see the serum. 
and then there's DNA in there too. They were able to extract some DNA, and it, there's male DNA in there as well. So it was proven. Oh, there's hemosiderin in uh, some of the parts too. And as we all know, hemosiderin and bilirubin is when you, uh, particularly bilirubin, is when a bl- uh, blood is under stress when the when the when the human is under stress. So they found all those, and again, uh, that's also found in every Eucharistic miracle. <laughs> so. Um, they're tied together but, and, um, and on the image where as you said the image of the body is only on the extreme surface the blood is not just on the extreme surface is it well right so the, the way you have to envision it is as as it, the reason it's evidence for the resurrection is that's the only way you can get a 3d image the the cloth that his body's becoming mechanically transparent as it's em- emanating the uh uh, billions of watts of light energy over 140 billionth of a second. The 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 uh, <clears throat> the uh, shroud is falling through the top part. He's ascend. You know he's he's um, he's re- he's resurrecting, and so it's taking digital imaging as he's going through. That's why you have the bones. That's why you have the Roman leptons on the eye. So the blood is below the image because number one, when he was on there on the uh, when he was crucified, there was um, there was you know blood stains, there's blood flows. You can follow the blood flows. He was vertical, and then when he's laid down and put on the shroud, then then things started to seep down. So, can and, you confirm uh, for our listeners that dead bodies bleed? <laughs> yes, they do. They continue to bleed. Uh, um, uh, uh, at some point, obviously, they stop, but. Um, uh, yes, they can continue to Because a lot of people might not uh, realize that. I actually didn't learn it until my emergency room rotation and internship. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, people don't realize that, but uh, so they do. If people are looking at an image at the large blood stain on the chest, there's a lighter color around that. Would you explain to listeners what that is? That's that's the serum that fluoresces when you take it under the right uh, photographic uh lens like a uv light and so that is that's that's produced all everywhere uh, the crown of thorns the, the the where the lance was put the roman pilum was put um all those stains are as described in the bible and that's it's true blood because there's not only the blood but there's the serum the staining of the serum around it so it fluoresces and, and you can see that and so serum is basically the liquid part of blood that doesn't contain the cells is that right Correct. Now, and I think what we also want to explain to our to our listeners too is that uh, the DNA is not in the red blood cells because red blood cells do not. I was have just going to ask. Yes. So where is where's the DNA from? It's from white blood cells. So there and, was white um, blood cells found on the shroud. Correct. And oh. what's interesting, it's the same is true. Is that it's, it's interesting? It's true. Uh, also in these Eucharistic, these recent Eucharistic miracles, um, is that, as we all know as, as clinicians, is the white blood cells die fairly quickly Yes. Uh, once they leave the body. And so the fact that there are white cells on there is, again, a miracle within a miracle because uh. they don't survive, you know, tens of years, let alone hundreds of years or thousands of years. So um, they, they last less than a couple hours. So... So that's um, that's another uh, 
uh, fact. Uh, Barry Schwartz, the uh, they, he he does a funny talk about the Shah. He's funny. He he still remains Jewish, but he he agrees that this is the. He was on the original strip program. He agrees that this is the. Uh, this is a Jewish man that was crucified. Uh, it's, it's pretty much evidence that that, you know, truly was a Jewish man crucified as described in the Bible. Uh, when, I, and, when I met Barry, he said, I'm a Jesus loving Jew. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah, he's really funny. I've he, seen him talk a couple of times. He lives at like 10,000 feet altitude in Colorado, somewhere near Leadville or yeah. something. <laughs> he, he's a character. But, but all these people, all these people were just devastated. That's actually why they convinced Paul John II. Uh, the great uh, to uh, uh, to go ahead and do the carbon fourteen data because they were so convinced there was so much evidence that this was really the burial cloth of Jesus that uh, that that it would be safe to do the carbon fourteen uh, data test testing on it. So. Oh yeah, and uh, just as a setup, I I was in medical school at the time of that test. I was already giving talks on the medical aspects of the crucifixion. I remember the day the test came out, some of my classmates came up to me and they just were trying to console me because I just couldn't believe the results. It's like, really? 14th century? This doesn't make any sense. But I don't want to go into why that's, that's wrong. That's a teaser for, for next episode. I, I think it is. Cause, that's right. Because <laughs> uh, we're going to have to take a, a break here and we'll come back uh, the next episode. Uh, you'll be able to listen to next week here on Dr. Doctor with Scott French. Scott, thanks for being with us today, and we'll be back uh, with the end of the show and the answer to the trivia question here on Dr. Doctor. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. And we need to pray for all our world leaders and all those who are in such danger. See, in a day and age where people are getting further away from God, you get further away from goodness. Only God is good. You remember what our Lord said when they, why do you call me good? He said, only God is good. Only God. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. St. Catherine of Siena lived in the 1300s and her wise words are more true now than they have ever been. If we want to win souls for Christ, to be active in His mission, we must be who we are called to be. Not who our friends or society want us to be, but to live in the way God has called us. Then, when we know who we are in Him, we will set the world on fire, and that will change the world. And we're back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the medical trivia question. And, and this medical trivia question is more of a, a history question. Uh, trivia question related to the shroud and if you have been listening carefully you at least know the answer to the first half of the trivia question yeah dr french gave us the the answer to when it was most recently displayed yes and it, in fact he was there and that year was 2015 uh, normally the shroud is set to be displayed on multiples of 25 years but of course a pope can do what popes do <laughs> so let it be written, so it, let right? it be done. So, And that's when Pope Francis allowed it to be shown in 2015, so Dr. French got the opportunity to see it. I was briefly set up on a pilgrimage to go see it. The pilgrimage fell through, so I didn't go. Uh, since the, the group didn't go, I'm hoping to go the next time, though. Okay. And if it's multiples of 25, that would be? 
pretty soon here, 2025. 2025, five more years. So if you are at all interested in going to see the Shroud, there will probably be pilgrimages put together by various different reputable uh, companies that do such a how, thing. How long is it available for? Is it? I, I understand last time it was only for about a month or so that it was available, it, or a couple it's, months. It's usually a short period of time. I don't. And again, uh, the Pope, along with the, the curators or conservators of the Shroud, decide that. Okay. Wow. Uh, so I don't know. And, and like Dr. French said, it's fairly dark in the room where they show it. So you probably do have to get fairly close to see it because they don't want the uh, ultraviolet or even visible light. Uh, to damage it. So right now, I, I know that one of the key things they're trying to do with the shroud is to preserve it, preserve it for future generations. I don't know if they've got it under argon gas, like the oh, um, yeah. uh, Declaration of Independence in the archives building. I was thinking maybe Han Solo in Star Wars. Oh, carbonite. Know, carbonite, Carbonite. Yes. You can't see through carbonite, though. Oh, that's true. They'd have to unfreeze it They've, every 25 years. They They would... Uh, I don't think we're going there. <laughs> I know, yeah, we've had references to Star Trek and Star Wars before. I don't know if this is one. Um, but I just um, imagine being this guy, Secundo Pia. What a name for a guy. Secundo, that means the second. Yeah. So did they name each of their kids after a number? I'm like, the poor guy. And Pio means little. <laughs> little second son or whatever. It's like, but he's famous now because of this picture. and. No. I can't imagine the shock when you're developing that picture. Holy smokes. And here's his face looking out at you. Yeah. So, And that's it, too. You can buy images of a negative photo of the shroud. It's like having a, a picture of Jesus to hang on the wall. Yeah, that is incredible. That really is. Uh, it, it's it's, uh, And that's on the Wikipedia page, too. So if, if yes. you are driving when you get home, please do look <laughs> that up. It is incredible because you see so many different artistic depictions of Christ. And you always wonder, I mean even like ethnicity and stuff. I mean, they're all catered to certain groups. Uh, but this is is the real thing, to, to my eyes at least. It's amazing. Well, thank you to all of our listeners for listening to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association, brought to you from the studios of Redeemer Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app or at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. Be sure to rate and review our show to help new listeners find us. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor, where we will continue our discussion on the Shroud of Turin with Dr. Scott French. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word DOCTOR to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor. This is Jerry Usher of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Join us with your take next on most of these EWTN stations. In 1625, during a terrible plague, the people of Palermo, Sicily, processed through the streets with the relics of St. Rosalie to intercede for the city. The plague ended, and she was proclaimed the patroness of the city of Palermo. Today, we ask her intercession for the victims of the coronavirus. 
Let us pray. O God, our Father, mercifully look upon your people who come to you and grant through the intercession of St. Rosalie that we may be delivered from all harm here on earth. Amen. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic.